1: Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Girazi. I'm so glad you could join me on the program. It's Tough Question Tuesday. It's time to ask the tough questions about God, about the historical Jesus, about the Bible. We've been talking about, well, rewards. We've been talking a little bit about salvation. And in the first hour, I um, was bringing to your attention An article that's been posted at ChristianHeadlines.com, ChristianHeadlines.com, Milton Quintanilla, who's a contributor for ChristianHeadlines.com, has this headline that Pope Francis calls for a universal ban on surrogacy, and in that article... Um, the Roman Catholic Pope called surrogacy a uh, deplorable, and he called for a worldwide ban on surrogacy. And uh, he he brought up uh, some some important issues of whether or not it's appropriate um, to be a surrogate. Now, using a surrogate mother... Is to bear children for a childless couple is a fairly old story and it goes all the way back to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 16. And so um, I'll talk a little bit more about that. And I, I, I do want to touch on that subject in the not too distant future. But if you want to join me on the program, it's 3038731935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Um Jeff, welcome to the program.
2: Yeah, hi Gino. Uh, I had a question regarding the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. And um in John chapter 14 26 it says but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i have said to you uh later on in john john 16 7, he says uh G- this is jesus speaking he says nevertheless i tell you the truth it is to your advantage that i go away for if i do not go away the helper will not come to you again referring to the holy spirit in the opening of luke um It talks about John the Baptist, John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Uh
0: And it
2: also refers to Simeon, uh, the the priest at the the temple there, um, uh, being moved by the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit was upon him. Can you help me uh, kind of work that out about it, it? it appears obviously the Holy Spirit shows up to those two people prior to Jesus sending the Holy Spirit and kind of harmonize that for me, if you could.
1: Well, let's try and harmonize it by, by beginning with asking, um, a different kind of a question. And that is, does the Holy Spirit function in several different capacities and i think that the answer is yes so there's a sense in which the holy spirit regenerates a person you know where you become born again by the power of the holy spirit and then the the holy spirit comes upon a person for a specific task or to to accomplish a specific goal so you'll notice that in the old testament It talks a great deal about the Holy Spirit coming upon a person like coming upon David in order to uh, kill the Philistines or or Samson to kill the Philistines. And so so again, does the Holy Spirit come upon people differently in the New Testament concept? So the apostle Paul writing to the Galatians says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith in Galatians three, two, and then in Galatians four, six, it says, and because your sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your heart. And so my, my view is, is it possible that the Holy spirit can do something to someone and they're not necessarily a believer? And that might sound odd. So you'll remember Balaam in the Old Testament. How is he able to prophesy and and prophesy correctly? How is it that Saul is able to do what Saul is able to do? Um, Does that mean that Balaam and Saul are saved, at least in the way that you and I think about salvation? So there seems to be the Holy Spirit functions in different capacities. So from the very beginning of the creation of the planet and the universe, it says in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth and the earth is without form and void and darkness is over the face of the deep. And it says the spirit hovered or brooded over the face of the water. So again, you know, you have the Holy spirit functioning in the creative capacity. You have the Holy spirit functioning in a regenerating capacity. You have the Holy spirit um, functioning in a prophetic capacity and an empowering c- capacity, so I think part of the challenge that you and I have is as we as we 're looking at all of those different verses and and we 're thinking about all of those different things, now back to your other the question: well what does all of that mean? And uh, so how do I answer the other kinds of questions like when does a person receive the Holy Spirit? So we're back to the verse about, you know, Jesus saying, I've, I've got to go. Um, but if I go, it's to your benefit because the Holy Spirit is going to come up with you and then be in you. So that leads me to believe that... Um, that the Holy Spirit didn't always function in that capacity in the Old Testament framework. It's always been my belief that people, remember Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus, you must be born again, or you must be born from on high. And so he's talking to an observant Jew, right, who's called the teacher of Israel. So are Old Testament saints saved? Well, I think so but how how are they saved in 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 my yeah in my view they're saved by grace through faith as they anticipate the promise that god is going to keep his word so in romans 4 it's it says what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness so in my okay. view, people are saved prior to the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus because they believe by faith, through grace, that God is going to keep his word about their problem. The the Bible okay. says that Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord in Genesis. And then, um, but there seems to be this, kind of supernatural transition that takes place in the New Testament context that that um that people are born again by the spirit and they're occupied they're literally indwelt by the spirit okay and i guess that was
2: was my the the, the crux of that question was this when because jesus says unless i go away he will not come so it seems at that moment that's when a new i guess assignment for the holy spirit occurred, exactly
1: i think that's which, the right way is, yeah i think that's the right which, way which, thinking about it because and if you don't mind holding we will talk a little bit more because he's the third person of the trinity he's omnipresent he, he doesn't go away. He's always present permanently, powerfully. So hold on. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, 303-873-1935. And we were talking with, um, tell me your name again. It's Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff. Y- yeah. Yeah. Welcome back, and uh, yeah, this is it's it's yeah it's it's complicated, but the way that I think about it, to try and make it as simple as possible is we we go from the big picture to the smaller picture we we go to the texts that are clear in order to try to understand what's not so clear and so um, so don't be frustrated if you go, well, this is all. All over the map. (laughs) Sure. Right. Yeah. No,
2: that's um you know, obviously I I did know that the Holy Spirit is mentioned multiple times throughout the Old Testament, so I, I recognize that, you know, even from the Genesis and creation and all that, whatnot. Right. But it was just that particular point when Jesus said, He won't come unless I leave that phrase, or or, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that, that comment. um, So it seems again, as we left off before the break was, that was almost like a new assignment for the Holy spirit where he now will indwell a believer. Whereas before maybe he did not indwell, he would guide and prompt um, uh, people before that. Although one of the questions would be, did he indwell, John the Baptist.
1: Well, and I think so. I think he indwelt. So so there's this, again, this supernatural indwelling. There are hints in the Old Testament, like in Numbers 27, 18, when it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And in Judges chapter 3, verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, speaking of Samson, and he judged Israel. Um, and so there is this sense that the Holy Spirit operates. And it, there's that distressing passage in 1 Samuel 16 where it says, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing right. spirit from the Lord troubled him. And so, apparent. in other words, this isn't... He's not upon Saul in a regenerative sense, but rather okay. in an empowering sense, an anointing sense, in which to fulfill the capacity that God had called him to. Right.
2: Well, that's a completely different thought. I had never gone to <laughs> the idea well, of regenerative it, it, presence and, and and just yeah, that's
1: that's a, and a non regenerative presence. Right, so, exactly. so the way I I I think of the non regenerative presence is all of the examples where God invades people in their dreams. Like, remember, He's talking with um, the the pagan uh, Egyptian Pharaoh, or He's talking right. to um, a, a, a a pagan Philistine. You know, when Abraham unfortunately lies about Sarah. I mean he's not lying exactly but he is exactly lying because he says she's my sister is she his sister yes but half sister and but leaving them with the impression that he's not that she's not his wife and and so Abimelech says well, why would you do this gross injustice why would you do this horrible thing remember god by his holy spirit shows up in abimelech's dream and says you're a dead man yes Yep, I, I just got and, done reading that a day ago. Yeah. Oh, then you know, and you go, <laughs> yeah. "Well, excuse me, time out. Why am I a dead man?" <laughs> and and again, because God has this way of applying pressure in order to yeah. accomplish His plans and purposes, even among the un you know the unbeliever or the the people who aren't chosen. So I yes. think all of that goes to the heart of, in part, what you're talking about.
2: Okay. Excellent. Well, listen, I appreciate you taking my call, and uh, I'll hop off the line here.
1: Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Like I said, it's easy to do. It's 303-873-1935, and... Uh, Speaking of easy, uh, you know, I've been talking a little bit about our friends at QC Kinetics, and uh QC Kinetics is a sponsor of the program, and, of course, you've heard me talking about them, that, uh, that they provide lasting relief from awful joint pain. I've unfortunately had a, a knee replacement, but I've also – been diagnosed with uh, arthritis. And so joint pain is something really that, that I know well. But guess what, you don't need to go another year with joint pain in your knees or shoulder. You can call QC Kinetics. QC Kinetics is, believe it or not, the nation's leader in regenerative, non-surgical pain relief. Your body has what it needs to restore and repair that damaged joint tissue. And QC Kinetics can make it happen with no drugs, no surgery, and no downtime. So the future of pain treatments has arrived, and QC has literally tens of thousands of satisfied patients All over America, people with back pain, hip pain, joint pain. Again, pain that's associated with arthritis or injury. And, of course, this isn't superficial. It's just not a Band-Aid treatment. It's a revolutionary treatment that can help get you moving again. You want your life back? Get it back. Again, if this is the year you decide to fight back against that pain, take the first step. Call QC Kinetics right now. Get a free consultation get it on the calendar make your appointment it's 303 8986 303 900 8986 i've been talking about the pope's statement on surrogacy and i wanted to get to um, the question about what does the bible say about surrogacy, and um, we happen to have an article posted at gotquestions.org, your questions, biblical answers, and um, at at our article at gotquestions.org, we point out that yeah, so the question becomes, what does the Bible say about being or using a surrogate mother? And in our article, we point out that using a surrogate mother to bear children for a childless couple is as old as the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 16, that Sarah couldn't bear children, so she gave her servant, Hagar, to Abraham so she could have his children. Now, that was a common practice at the time, and since a childless woman was shamed by her friends and family. So one of the biggest pains and shames you could bear in the ancient world was to be barren and childless. So this story is kind of the closest that the Bible comes to what we might call traditional surrogacy today, where the mother is impregnated with the sperm of a man, often One whose wife is incapable of producing eggs, usually by means of artificial insemination. Now, again, if we go back to the story of Hagar, it's going to produce pain, heartache, and confusion. So today... There's a practice that's called gestational surrogacy, which involves the transplantation of an already conceived embryo containing the sperm and the egg from a couple. And so in that case, the surrogate role is that of a uterus, a carrier. That's not the case in the Bible, and that wasn't the case with Hagar. And, of course, we learn from Hagar's story that using a surrogate parent is going to often result in real problems that can manifest not just hundreds, but even thousands of years. So one problem that arose with Hagar is that she didn't want to give her child over to Sarah when it was born, when when Ishmael was born. That happens today as women discover that giving away their children despite financial compensation can cause immeasurable pain because of the bond that forms between the pregnant mother and the child she's carrying even before it's born. And so we know even from medical uh, circumstances that when a woman is pregnant, her body is flooded with hormones. There is a biological communication taking place. I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby. And so God has hardwired women in such a way that there it, there are physical, but then there are also mental and emotional uh, elements associated with going through pregnancy. But I'll have more to say when we come back. The Bible doesn't forbid the use of a surrogate parent, but it does raise questions that we probably need to talk about. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for joining me on Tough Question Tuesday. Love taking your calls. 303-873-1935. 303 eight, seven, three, 1935. And again, if you'd like to join me on the program, I was talking about the Pope's recent pronouncement of his displeasure, if you will, um, condemnation of surrogacy. And so the question came up and I've been talking a little bit about it, about the question, does the Bible address the issue? And of course, um, the Bible doesn't address it specifically Um, But using surrogacy to bear children is something that was practiced, if you will, in in antiquity. And, of course, from the Bible's story in Genesis, we see much pain, much heartache that arises. And um, but again, does the Bible forbid the use of a surrogate parent? Not necessarily. Is it? ethical? Is it appropriate? Is it helpful? So marriage is designed to be between two people, a man and a woman for life. And according to God's revelation and design, it would appear that marriage in part is for the purpose of procreation, that children are are a part of that. And you'll remember that the first command, when God blesses them, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there is a promise. There is a command. And so to bring in a third party means that the child could by definition have a third parent. So that raises some really difficult questions, such as will the baby know its surrogate mother? Will there be visitation? How will the child be expected to feel about the surrogate mother? And will there be jealousy? All these issues have to be prayerfully considered before a Christian couple uses surrogacy. So couples who use a family member as a surrogate can often head off some of those problems because that arise if the surrogate has a strong bond with the couple, has their welfare in mind, and again, cares deeply both about the child and the parents. So obviously the Bible says that children are a gift. They're not a right. In Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So just as God blesses some people with wealth and success, he blesses some people with children and others not. So much, so using a surrogate out of arrogant defiance of God would be a sin. But using a surrogate after prayerful consideration, a time of seeking God's will and guidance, it might be a viable alternative for the child, or for children. So again, would I say that the Pope's pronouncement would, would should dissuade Christians from surrogacy? Not necessarily. Um, Does the Pope bring up legitimate arguments? I think he does. Um, Is it possible that some people traffic in children using their womb as uh, a form of capitalism? I think that's possible. So, again, we're left with that absolute difficult situation is using a a surrogate defiance towards God. Well, in Roman Catholicism, their belief, according to the Roman Catholic Pope, is that clearly, from his perspective, it is. Is that my perspective? Not necessarily. In all that we do, according to the Scripture, we have to do to glorify God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, 31, it says, Wh- whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do all for the glory of God. So, interesting. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty-five. 1935 That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, let's see who's up. Barbara, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream a little cold because it's been, it's been cold. And that old knee of mine starts to creak a little bit.
3: Well, I'm keeping you in prayer. Thanks. I need to find out how do I get to your church? If I took Colorado Boulevard South, where do I go from there?
1: So if you're on Colorado Boulevard are, are you talking about Calvary South Denver or are you talking about where I happen to be teaching this Sunday?
3: Uh Calvary South.
1: Okay, if you're going to Calvary South Denver and if you're going south on Colorado Boulevard, do you ever make it as far as Hamden Boulevard or how, so so what are the the do you know how to get to Wadsworth? Yes. Okay. So to get, you have to go south on Wadsworth, south of Bowles. You keep going south on Wadsworth till you get to Ken Carl. That's K-E-N and then C-A-R-Y-L. And then you turn right, which is west, and Calvary Chapel's at, at um uh, at 9052, no, no, it's at, um, it's right at the corner of Garrison and Ken Carl. So, uh, the corner of Garrison and, and Ken Carl on the south side, it used to be a, um, a, uh, shopping center, like, a Albertson supermarket. And so, um... It'll be that, that big 50,000-square-foot building. You can't miss it. So it's 9052 West Ken Carl. So if you have a smartphone or if you have maps or you can, you know, you have a some sort of something that you can plug in your phone, 9052 W Ken Carl Avenue, it'll get you there.
3: Sounds good. See you Sunday.
1: All right. You take good care. Enjoy. that's the number. If you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. And, of course, um, for those of you who are interested, I will be at Grace Bible Church this Sunday, and... um, if you want to know about Grace Bible Church, you can go to uh, Grace Bible, Grace and it will give you a homepage, sermons, ministries, and all kinds of cool stuff. So, and then you'll get to see a little glimmer shot and the most recent sermon that I've preached. 303-873-873. 1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, I'm trying to. Um, I know that we talked about surrogacy, but again, it's tough question Tuesday, and there is a a question called the Bible or the bridal paradigm. So the the, the so someone is asking the question. What is the bridal paradigm, and is it biblical? So the bridal paradigm is a teaching that emphasizes the church as the bride of Christ and the kingdom of God as a love affair between Jesus and the bride. And so this uh, doctrine, this paradigm doctrine perspective has been popularized by IHOP, and people in the charismatic movement. So I'll, I'll have a little bit more to say about that. We'll come back. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Dracy. Thanks for joining me. The number is 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Ty, welcome to the program. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Gino, for taking my call. I appreciate
1: that. Hey, you are welcome. Hey, I've
3: I have been a Christian, gosh, since I was seven. And, um, you know, and so you just accept that the Bible is what it says that it is, that it is the Word of God. Mm -hmm. But um, through the years, as I have grown and matured, um, you come to realize that there are different uh, Bibles. Uh, You know, the Catholic Bible, for example, that has the Apocrypha. Uh-huh. Um, there is, um, I think, the Somalian or um, it, the, the North African one has certain books in it, and others that it, that it does it refuses to have. Um, I just would like to know a quick perspective on how did we get God's word
1: that we yeah, have that's today. A- that's a great big question. And and so you're exactly right. There, there's a term that scholars use to describe what's in the Bible or what's not in the Bible. It's called the canon of Scripture. And that word canon just simply means the rule of law that was used to determine if a book measured up to the standard. And so in in order to be in the Scripture, it had... In, in the New Testament, it had to have been written by an apostle or the close companion of a co- of an apostle. It had to be widely used in the church. It had to be internally accurate. Um, and so, as you can imagine, using that criteria, there was an Old Testament and a New Testament, if you will. And so, over the centuries of inspired composition, the people received certain texts as Holy Scripture without manufacturing them or mandating them. So the modern Protestant Bible consists of 66 books, which is typically divided into the Old and the New Testament. But to your point, there was uh, uh, books that were included um, in the during, during the intertestamental period that's called the Apocrypha. Now, there's lots of reasons why... Um, Protestants reject those books, but that's that's not going to help us with the heart of the question that you've been asking. So the heart mm-hmm. of the question that you've been asking is um, the Old Testament books themselves ref- refer to a, a, a variety of different sources, Moses. The official records of the kings, the proverbial writings, and so the the Old Testament, as you and I understand it, was intact and in place by the time of Jesus, and ma- Jesus makes reference to it. The famous yes. example in Deuteronomy chapter two, verses twenty through twenty three, where um, you know it it talks about how they came across. Um, letters, and original people are writing it. And so if you get a chance, because I know this is going to be complicated, you can go to gotquestions.org. That's, you hear me mm-hmm. talk a lot about gotquestions.org, and type mm-hmm. in where did the Bible come from and how did we get it? And so there's, there's a lengthy article that's going to... Um, to, that it's going to begin where did the Old Testament come from? then where did the New Testament come from? Where did my mm-hmm. Bible come from and um and so you know one of the the other questions is who decided which book should be placed in the Bible, which goes to the heart of, of part of what you're talking about, and again, there was no counsel, there was no person collectively, the, the books began to be read. So, for instance, I happen to be teaching in the book of Colossians. And at the end of Colossians, Paul says, read this book and then also read the letter to Laodicea, which I sent along. And so, as you can imagine, the Gospels are read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, Luke and Acts. And so these books are read, repeated, and given. So again, the people who gave them had to be an apostle or the companion of an apostle. They had to be widely read. They had to be considered inspired. They had to be internally consistent. And so um, in the Old Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, But as for you, continue in that which you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Hagia Grapha. That's what that means, the sacred writings, which will make you wise to salvation. He's talking about all of the books of the Old Testament. So um, the books of both the Old and the New Testament were collected, and then by by the time you get to the middle of the second century, they're deeply entrenched and in place. And so if you go to Got Questions, type in that question, where did the Bible come from? How did we get it? And then you're going to see a series of other questions like how and when was the canon of the Bible put together? And remember, when I use that term canon, I mean the rule or the measure. Canon becomes another word for the real content of the books of the Bible that you have in your hand. Okay, and then there's going to be another article entitled "What Was the Process of Deciding on the New Testament Canon?" Now, as you can imagine, I've devoted my life to the question you just asked.
3: <laughs> yes, well, I think any believer um, wants to know what do we believe and why do we believe that, and and have confidence in the authority.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so I hope that's been a fun answer for you.
3: Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your radio show. I listen to you most evenings on the way
1: home. Well, I'm so glad. And so now when you're listening, here's what I want you to do. Just go, oh, God, help him. Lord, help him. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, you amaze me, and I appreciate your ministry, and I'm so glad you're back on the air. I missed you when you were gone.
1: Well, thank you. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. And again, I'm so grateful for that question. And um, when I'm thinking about the question, you know, where did my Bible come from? The early church regarded the Old Testament as the revelation of God and the received apostolic writings with the same authority. You'll remember in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, um, Peter says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So there is this sense in which Peter affirms that what Paul is saying is true. And so again, in growing persecution, the Christian's painstakingly copied and circulated the apostolic writings. And sometimes works claiming to be written by apostles crept in, and the churches, again, were skeptical of certain books. And so, again, they began to ask, was this written by an apostle? Was it written by um, a companion of an apostle? Is it internally consistent with the revelation that has been given? And um, so... 3038731935 I don't know that we have time to take another call do Yeah so hopefully you call back I would love 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 to be able to take that question and maybe you can call me back tomorrow just another just a quick note because how much time do we have producer Jim 30 seconds the people of god acknowledged that certain texts were holy scripture without creating them or mandating them so the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. It was copied, translated faithfully. And the Bible, the Bible, the Bible that you hold in your hand, you can trust it. Pick up a good translation in your native tongue. Start reading it. You won't regret it. Again, at gotquestions.org, we've got so many articles about how you got your Bible. What was the process of deciding the New Testament? Enjoy. This is Gino Giraci. I'll be back hopefully, prayerfully, Lord willing, taking your calls, answering your questions.